Thanks to HelloFresh for supporting Market Foolery. Get $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to hellofresh.com/mf30 and use the offer code MF30. It's Thursday, May 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, the happiest Sacramento Kings fan east of the Mississippi River. It's oh, da- yes. David Kretzman. Man, it's been a good week, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> the NBA draft lottery working out about as well as it could for the Kings. So kudos. Yeah, we jumped from the number seven spot, which is what we were projected to get in the draft, and now we're going to be drafting second. And what a lot of people are saying is a pretty good draft this oh, year. Oh yeah, no, you're going to get so, you're going to get a very good player. We got to make moves this summer. This uh, is it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we could spend the next ten minutes talking about the NBA draft because we're both fans. But we're you know that's not what we do on this podcast. Unfortunately, no. So uh, we're going to talk video gaming. We're going to talk restaurants, and uh, I have an update on the Motley Fool podcast swag shop. Let's start with a much bigger shop, and that is Walmart. And their first quarter results. And the headline for Walmart was great profits and revenue coming in higher than expected. Online sales in the US continue to climb. You look under the hood, though, and their gross margins are going in the wrong direction. Yeah, I mean, this is a company really reinvesting back in the business. And I think that the headline this quarter, besides the e commerce growth, which picked up from the previous quarter, grew. E-commerce up 33% this quarter compared to I think 23% the previous quarter, uh, so that that's a strong number. But I'd say the headline this quarter is definitely the the Flipkart acquisition that they announced within the past couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, the, the Walmart making a, a huge 16 billion dollar acquisition to acquire uh, not even the entire company of Flipkart. They're getting 77%. Uh, so the, I think you'll continue to see pressure on margins uh, going forward, just as the company. Really reinvest back into uh, their e-commerce business, the omni-channel experience, and then internationally, uh, Flipkart isn't going to be making money anytime soon. So you'll see pressure on margins there as well. So Doug McMillan has been CEO for a little more than four years, and during that time, the stock is up somewhere in the neighborhood of like twelve percent or something like that. That's not that is not great when you just sort of compare it to the market in general. But I look at the state of Walmart's business, and it seems to me like it is more than 12% stronger as a business than it was four years ago. When you think about not just Flipkart, but the Jet.com acquisition and how that has worked out, I, I, I'm not saying, oh, this is, this is a coiled spring that's just going to take off in the next couple of years, but I really do feel like the underlying business of Walmart is in so much better shape than the stock performance indicates. Yeah, I would agree to an extent. I think the issue here is that even though they are plowing a lot into e-commerce, it's still not really at a at a level where it's going to be moving the needle to a meaningful degree. I mean, total sales for the company were up 4.4% this quarter. You have some international sales that are growing well over 10%, but the the US business for the most part is very much established and they are seeing traffic and check growth, so same store sales are still strong in the US, but for the most part this is still a slower growth story, uh, but but ideally, if you're a Walmart investor, you're hoping that the company's investments uh, internationally into into Flipkart and new regions, uh, and domestically here with Jet.com and that e-commerce business, uh, that maybe that can pick up the growth rate. But in the meantime, I think uh, expectations are still somewhat 
tampered. Just you know, they're going up against Amazon, as you mentioned. Margins are pressured as a result, uh, but but the valuation also isn't you know out of out of this world. So I, I think they're making the right moves. What gives me a little bit of pause is just their their capital allocation. I mean, the the, the underlying business, like you mentioned, is still very strong, generating about eighteen billion dollars in free cash flow each year. But they're still allocating a lot of that to buying back stock and paying out a dividend. So about fourteen billion dollars of that eighteen billion dollars in free cash flow is going to buybacks and dividends. I I sort of wonder if they they should maybe tamper back or tamper down the the buybacks and focus on these acquisitions, opening new stores, those capital expenditures uh, to improve the underlying business. Uh, so that's what I would hope to see is that they don't look to continue raising the dividend. They don't continue to buy back a ton of stock. Focus on reinvesting back in the business because there clearly are growth opportunities in the retail space online and internationally. And focus there. I think it'll be curious to see if they actually do that because particularly with the Flipkart acquisition, you know, that's one where they they want to make sure it goes as smoothly as possible. And it's entirely possible. Look, anytime a company makes an acquisition, more often than not, there are costs associated with it that aren't baked into whatever the final price tag was. Uh, kind of like if you're, I don't know, if you're doing a renovation on your home, it always ends up costing a little bit more, uh, or you know, you take your car to the shop, it costs a little bit more than you originally thought it was going to, um, and it seems like um, it, it would behoove them to uh, to listen to your advice because I think they're they're just abs- I think the Flipkart acquisition was a smart move, but they're going to need a little bit more cash than they probably think. I think they should count on that. I mean, really, any way you look at the Flipkart acquisition, they paid a rich price. Flipkart's a young company, still losing a good chunk of money, and they're not the clear-cut number one winner. Amazon's nipping at their heels already, and you know, Amazon allegedly was you know interested in Flipkart as well. I think Flipkart is somewhat of a stepping stone for Walmart into India. Something I hadn't realized is that the there are some pretty tough regulations for foreign retailers expanding into India. So, up to this point, Walmart only has 21 physical locations in India, and really, that's due to a lot of regulations that are in place to protect local mom and pop retailers and producers. So, essentially, Walmart on a brick and mortar level, Walmart can't operate at scale. They need to source the majority of their products from local mom and pop shops. So, you can't have that scale advantage where you can buy a ton of stuff in bulk and then sell it at a discounted price to consumers like we know and love here in the US. You just can't do that in India if you're a foreign retailer. But perhaps this Flipkart acquisition, if it does get approved you know, in India, maybe that gives them a little bit more leverage to negotiate with the Indian government, maybe open up some more physical locations and build out both the e-commerce side with Flipkart, but also build out the physical and omni-channel experience. Let's move on to Take-Two Interactive. Fourth quarter profits solidly beat expectations. Shares are up about 3% this morning. I'm assuming they would be up even more if the overall sales for Take-Two Interactive were stronger, because they kind of struggled this quarter, and their guidance for the current quarter was essentially, yeah, this current quarter, it's going to look a lot like the one we just reported. Meaning, not <laughs> not ideal. Yeah, tepid. Right. Sales will be tepid. <laughs> yeah, this is a with with any video game companies. You're whether you're looking at Electronic Arts or Activision Blizzard, which are much bigger than Take Two Interactive. But you you will see similar dynamics where 
quarter to quarter results will be very lumpy because this is very much a hits and franchise driven business. And in this case, you might remember that last year, Take Two Interactive, they were planning on launching Red Dead Redemption 2 in the fall of 2017. They delayed that to the spring of this year, and then they delayed it again to October this year. So that was a big release that initially would have been, you know, Lumped into to this quarter's results, but they've kind of continued to push that back. Uh, but but really, I think they're doing it for good reasons. They they're basically saying we really want to make sure we have this game right. And then in the meantime, uh, th- their digital side of the business is helping uh, prop up the company and bring in a lot of cash. So. It's a terrible phrase, but their metric, recurrent consumer spending, which is basically all the money that gamers spend on virtual currency, add-on content, in-game purchases, essentially purchases that gamers make after they've bought the initial game, that spending was up 42% in the quarter and now makes up almost half of their total revenue. And that's just high margin money coming in the door. It's just dropping essentially straight to the bottom line. So right now you look at Take Two Interactive, they have uh, producing over $300 million in free cash flow each year. They have $1.4 billion in net cash on the balance sheet. It's a very cash rich business. And if they can continue to uh, churn out hits with their current franchises like you know, Grand Theft Auto, NBA 2K, WWE, uh, and hopefully get get some other hits in the meantime and develop some new hits. The, the company should be on a nice trajectory longer term. But in the meantime, these quarter to quarter results will be a bit lumpy. You're right. That is a terrible phrase for what is, <laughs> as you point out, for what is a great metric and something that points to, among other things, the fact that. Uh, these are well-made games. If if they are that sticky that people are after they bought the game, they're like, I, I'm I like this game so much, I'm going to spend even more money within the game itself, or you know, for whatever you, whatever you're buying. Um, Fortnite is Fortnite just going to hurt every game maker right now because of its popularity? Well, Fortnite was mentioned 17 times on their conference call. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a yes. So, a lot of analysts were were interested in it. And really, the response from Take-Two, I think, was similar from uh, the the response we heard from EA uh, a couple weeks ago, where they essentially see it as, you know, this is kind of a a newish development uh, in the gaming world, especially here in the U.S., where you have these battle royale games, where you have essentially 100 people competing live at once. Um, so I think they they see it uh, as something that's in general an opportunity. Uh, this is bringing a lot of, uh, well, anecdotally anyway, this seems to be bringing in a lot of newer gamers into the online gaming category. So ideally, you know, for for Take Two, this might raise interest. Um, you know, in new gamers for new games, and down the road perhaps they look to develop games sort of more in the Fortnite model. So I don't think they they see it as a threat. I'd say at this point, all these video game companies, whether it's EA, Take Two, or Activision, are probably looking at what's happening with Fortnite as an opportunity. Just that there is a growing interest in interactive gaming, and that's where these companies have largely been, you know, spending a lot of their time as they develop and expand their existing titles. I mean, you look at Grand Theft Auto V, which by Almost any measure might be the most successful like media franchise uh, in a long time, if, if not ever. Has sold over 95 million units. So you think if there's like an average selling price of say sixty dollars, and that might not necessarily even include the money people are spending after the fact once they buy the game, that would mean that Grand Theft Auto V alone has brought in over six billion dollars, uh, and it's probably <laughs> even more than that. Uh, and, and that's a title that 
that, that title was released in 2012 or 2013 and still continues to be the primary revenue generator uh, and earnings generator for Take-Two. So, just the, the power of having a hit title, uh, developing that online experience. I think Take-Two already has a lot of know-how, uh, and they recognize that, that that's really what you're shooting for. If you can hit one of those, you can just keep milking that for a long time. Quick thanks to HelloFresh. They're offering our dozens of listeners $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com slash MF30 and use the offer code MF30. Meal kits delivered right to your door in insulated, recyclable packages. There are three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family. Uh, I said the other day they sent a bunch of meal kits uh, here to Full HQ. Um, we, we touched on the NBA draft. We essentially had a meal kit draft, and I felt compelled to essentially go last. And um, you know, I, I was initially disappointed that I got a veggie offering <laughs> because that's not that's not my go-to move. Sure, when I'm going out to dinner or just in life in general, I'm not the person who's reaching for the veggies. And it was great. Nice. Yeah, it was this pesto flatbread uh, pizza. It was yeah, it was fantastic. Delicious. Um, HelloFresh makes it easy to cook delicious, balanced, filling dinners, even veggie ones, for less than ten bucks a meal. And also, they have free shipping, so you don't have to worry about planning dinner, spending money on takeout for an easy night, or worrying about gathering ingredients. That was the other thing because I've used other meal kits. This was this was super easy. Um, awesome. Both in terms of the ingredients and also the directions to follow, which I like. Also, another thing I like, I like when the meal takes less time than they say it's going to take. Because that's another issue I've had with unnamed meal kit companies. <laughs> Under promise, over deliver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MF30 and use the promo code MF30 to get $30 off your first week of deliveries. Um, if you're going to be in the DC area at the end of the month, we're having a listener meetup, podcast listener meetup in Washington, DC. Uh, it's going to be on May 30th. And if you're interested in uh, joining us, email marketfoolery at fool.com and we will send you all the details. Jack in the Box second quarter earnings came in light. Their same store sales were down ever so slightly, 0.1%. Uh, the stock was is down about 6% this morning. And I totally understand why, because management said nothing that would give anyone any optimism for the rest of this fiscal year. Management was basically like, yeah, this is this is pretty much how it's going to be for the next six months. Yeah, and I guess to be fair, you know, a lot of restaurants are still struggling, but in general, the restaurant picture in the U.S. is looking uh, looking brighter than it's been in a long time over the past couple of years. But uh, in, in this case, their company-owned same-store sales for the quarter were up uh, just under one percent. But traffic was down almost two percent, so it's really just people are spending more when they go in uh, to Jack in the Box. That's what's carrying their their comps. Uh, but but there's also the downside that <laughs> those company-owned same-store sales now represent an increasingly tiny part of their overall uh, system. Uh, right now, they're they're focusing on refranchising, so more and more of the, those company-owned stores are becoming franchised at this point. And I think 92 percent of the company's total restaurants are franchised. So really, if you're investing in Jack in the Box today, I mean they they sold off Qdoba, which we can talk about. The more I look at that, the more I wonder. Eh, it seems like they sold at a bad price and maybe a bad time. But you you really just have to buy into um, th this concept becoming more relevant. 
in the coming years, but also uh, management strategy of really bringing on a lot of debt to to buy back stock and maybe you know pay a dividend that that kind of thing. So they're trying to be dominoes, but without a concept that's doing as well as dominoes. That's really uh, the, the direction they're going with this <laughs> franchising strategy. You lever up the balance sheet, you return a lot of cash to shareholders, but when your core concept is jack in the box and just isn't. Doing that well, uh, it, it's hard to to replicate dominoes. They're, they're trying to be dominoes, but without Patrick Doyle running the company. Exactly. Um, let's go back to Qdoba for a second, because this is uh, we talked about this right before we started taping. Uh, a little bit of background here: Jack in the Box bought Qdoba, which is a Mexican, uh, basically their version of of Chipotle. Um, they bought it in two thousand three for forty five million dollars. They sold it at the end of last year for just over $300 million. So, just on the surface, you can look at that and say, well, they made a heck of a nice profit off of that. You know? um, but there were, a, I was going to say, a bunch of quarters. There were a bunch of years where, when Jack in the Box reported uh, their quarterly earnings, it was Qdoba that was really doing the heavy lifting. It was Qdoba that was putting up the really impressive double digit same store sales growth. And so, uh, like you, I, when they said, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna sell Qdoba," I was sort of scratching my head over that. Even though Qdoba had cooled off in terms of the performance, like the, the comps came down to single digit growth instead of double digit growth. But this, to me, was not like when Darden Restaurants, which is the parent company of Steve Broido's beloved Olive Garden, oh, and yes. the Capitol Grill, and when they announced they were gonna sell Red Lobster, that made sense to be to me because they have. A bunch of restaurants in their portfolio. Um, they were able to get some cash up front for that, and they were able to focus on their other brands in the portfolio. Well, it's not like Jack in the Box is trying to manage eight to ten different restaurant brands. So that's, I don't know. This history may not be kind to this decision to sell. Yeah, I, I really do think it will be looked looked back on as a questionable and probably a poor decision. Because, if anything, you want to sell a concept when it's performing well. So, a few years back, when Qdoba was really the driving force behind Jack in the Box's positive results, that's the time you want to sell. You want to sell high rather than sell low, which is really what they did. I think, for a while, they were optimistic about Qdoba when the results and performance were looking great, right alongside Chipotle back in the glory years, five plus years ago. Uh, but management changed their tune pretty quickly over the past couple of years. Uh, as soon as Qdoba's sales started to, to falter and maybe weren't performing as well as the core Jack in the Box concept, that's all of a sudden when they were saying, "Yeah, we might look to to sell this." But but I I would think that a lot of Qdoba's struggles could be blamed on just the wider restaurant slowdown that we saw in the U.S. over the past couple of years. Although. You also might argue that Qdoba should have taken advantage of Chipotle's woes and and performed better, but in any case, Qdoba had over 700 restaurants in the U.S. at the time of the sale, but they 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 really only sold it for just over 300 million dollars. So that that just leaves me scratching my head because today Chipotle has over 2,000 restaurants, so about four to five times the restaurants of Qdoba, but Chipotle is trading at a valuation over 11 billion dollars. 
So there just really seems to be a mismatch there. I, I think they could have gotten a higher price for Qdoba if they had just waited maybe for a, a better market or waited for the results to turn around with the wider industry. Something here just doesn't add up to me. So there might be something that I'm missing here, but Qdoba was primarily, if not entirely, company-owned locations. Uh, and and still performing decent, although not, not as well as they had been a few years ago. Well, and Apollo was the uh, the company that bought them. Yeah. Um, it really wouldn't surprise me. And and of course, if this happens, we'll find out exactly um, if Jack in the Box made a mistake selling them. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if if Apollo spun out. Qdoba in a couple of years into an IPO. Yeah, and I think that's the route that Jack in the Box probably should have gone because I just think it's a still a relatively strong restaurant concept. It's probably the closest to a number two to you know the Chipotle fast casual Tex-Mex concept. I just think that they easily could have gotten a higher valuation. And by the way, the same store sales. I mean, if you're just looking at burger concepts. Jack in the Box is is kind of in the middle of the group in terms of most recent same store sales. You know, they're zero point one percent in the negative is not great, but it's better than Sonic, uh, Steak and Shake, you know, a couple others out there. Um, by the way, thank you. Uh, I, I meant to thank you because I believe you were the one who recommended. Uh, a Twitter follow for me, Jonathan Mays. Yeah, was that you? Yep, that was you. Okay, I'll take credit. Uh, thank sure. you. <laughs> um, uh, for anyone interested in the restaurant uh, business, uh, David had uh, mentioned this guy to me, Jonathan Mays, M-A-Z-E, uh, and it's his uh, Twitter handle is just at Jonathan Mays. He's the executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine, and just a. a Great follow for anyone interested in restaurant stocks, um, and that was you know that little uh, stat I just shared about same store sales in the burger space. Yeah, I, I didn't do that research. That, <laughs> that that came from following Jonathan Mays on Twitter. Um, uh, real quick before we go, um, uh, if you're unfamiliar, we have a, a little uh, podcast uh, swag shop uh, here at the Motley Fool, which you can find online at shop.fool.com. Uh, just launched it earlier this year. We've got great feedback from people. People tweeting us photos of T-shirts and and podcast mugs and all that sort of thing. Um, happy to report a couple of updates. One. We have worked with uh, our partners at Social Imprints. They're the people who actually produce the swag. Uh, we've worked with them to alleviate some of the shipping costs because one of the things I've learned is that uh, when you're shipping stuff, not everything costs the same to ship. And uh, how much something weighs, uh, that matters. So uh, for people who are like, oh, a coffee mug, I'd like a coffee mug. And then the shipping cost because the weight of a coffee mug is. You know more than say a T-shirt. Uh, anyway, we've worked to uh, to cut down on the shipping costs there. So um, so thank you for that feedback. Uh, and also, a new item in the store, brand new this week: women's cut T-shirts, ah, uh, which were very much in demand. Uh, so uh, so those are now at shop.fool.com. So check it out. Uh, it's graduation season. It's wedding season coming up. I don't know. I mean, we don't have a registry on the site, but you could surprise a bride and groom this uh, this wedding season with uh, no, no, that'd be a terrible gift. A nice capital F foolish gift. Yeah, exactly. What more do you need? <laughs> All right, David Cressman, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.